It is an exciting time to be a part of Grace Church uh, because just last weekend we launched into a brand new major series called All In All Out. What we're doing with this series, All In All Out, is we're opening up a brand new chapter of vision here at Grace Church. And if you missed that first conversation, I'd encourage you to catch up online. And you can also grab one of these booklets. This is loaded with great information about where we're headed as a church over the next handful of years. And you might be asking, why'd you guys call it All In All Out? What's that all about? Well, here's the idea. We as a church family, in a united fashion, want to go all in in our commitment to Christ so that we can go all out in reaching our community for Him. That's what it's all about. And this is important. It's really a spiritual endeavor. And so we wanted to make sure we got kicked off on the right foot. So we started by talking about prayer. And we kicked off the 21 days of prayer last weekend. We have a couple different ways that we can access those 21 days of prayer. So between a Monday and Saturday at 12.30 p.m., if you want to, you can tune in live on social media and we can pray together, kind of have a live event where we can pray and get tuned in and focused that way. You can also sign up for notifications daily uh, to pray for the same things that we're all focused in on uh, through email or text. You can uh, sign up on the app to get those notifications. I know those are really helpful for me to make sure those things are keeping in front of me and keeping my focus that way. Another major thing we're doing with prayer is this. Uh, We're all focused on praying for our three. And you say, what does that mean? Here's what praying for your three is. Uh, We want to each individually look around our lives and find three people uh, who we're not really sure where they stand with the Lord or we think they may not have a relationship with Christ yet. And so we want to pray for those folks by name and we want to ask God to work in their hearts and in their lives and draw them into a relationship with Him. That's what praying for your three is all about. And we're doing that from power kids all the way up. We're all in in praying for the people in our lives who don't yet know Christ because that's the focus of where we're headed as a church. So we want to continue to do that. We want to continue to uh, engage the 21 days of prayer, engage praying for our three. And we want to add a layer to it this weekend as we continue to open up some very exciting opportunities that we as a church have an opportunity to impact our community in. And we began to talk about that a little bit last weekend. Uh, Pastor Jeff said something that was striking to me, is that he said in his 25 years as a pastor, he's never seen a situation where the harvest was beckoning the harvester to come into that harvest field. Another way to think of it is that the community is beckoning or begging the church to come into the community more and more. And the nature of the projects we're going to be looking at are exactly that. And we're going to be diving into some more details about that today. And we're going to start that conversation right now. Well, welcome, everybody. It's good to see you guys this weekend. Uh, my name's Jeff. If I haven't met you before, I'd love to do that and uh, say hi to you a little bit. Welcome, everybody, at the Montrose Building and everybody watching online and at our live sites as well. Thanks for dialing in this weekend also. Like Ryan said, we started a new series Uh, Last weekend called All In, All Out, and uh, in this series, we're looking at um, some major doors that we believe God has opened up for us as a church family that we want to walk through, and some opportunities that uh, we believe are unique and uh, um, wonderful uh, in order to uh, help us to reach people and to connect with them in in a fresh way, and I want to tell you about a lot of those here this weekend. First of all, let me say this. If you're our guest this weekend, thanks for being here. And what we're doing right now is we're kind of drawing up to the kitchen table as a church family. So we do this about every three years. 
uh, where we look as, as, as a church family and say, we need to talk about some things. So imagine you were planning a big trip or getting ready to send one of the kids off to college or something like that, and you had a meeting at your table to plan about that and schedule it and figure the finances out. That's what we're doing as a church family. And so uh, this weekend and the next two weekends at Grace are going to be different than normal because of that. But I want to invite you to that kitchen table with us. And I don't, I don't want anything from you. I'm not asking you to be a part of anything. But I would love for you to eavesdrop and uh, to hear our heart and to hear some of the passions of the church and uh, some of the ways that we believe God is, um, is calling us into the, the future. So all of this is tied to something we call 30 and 30. 30 and 30 is uh, our belief that God has asked us to start 30 churches in a 30-year time window. And in order to accomplish 30 and 30, uh, we've taken it into chapters and we open a new chapter every three years. And it's that time to open the new chapter. The new chapter is called All In and All Out. And when we're thinking about opening a new chapter, uh, we're always looking for two main things. One is, uh, how do we help Jesus make sense to people who don't know him yet? And is there a way that we can best love our neighbor as ourself? Uh, what's our community need and what are they asking for? And what evangelistic efforts are working in a unique way? And can we uh, double down on those and invest in them more? So to that end, we're always trying stuff. Grace is kind of a little entrepreneurial in that way. And so we're always trying uh, different ways to connect with people, trying to kind of see where our community's at, talking with them and interacting with them. And, and what we'll do over time is we're always doing little things and then a little thing will get some traction and we'll let it become a bigger thing. And when the bigger thing gets some kind of extra special traction, when it really starts to work in, in a big way, we'll pay lots of attention to that and see if that's the next thing that we need to invest in in a major way. We'll do the same thing with the needs of our community, right? So there are thousands or countless needs in our community that we're asked to pay attention to. And so we're always sifting through those. We pay attention to many of them. And then when one of those needs kind of jumps to the surface in an extra special way, uh, we'll give extra special attention to it and see if we can be a part of a, of a big solution uh, to those areas. So we're always doing that. That's kind of the way that we function and work. And over these last few years, there are several areas that have done that. They've kind of risen up and stuck out in a special way. And that's what I want to walk you through this weekend. Uh, we talked about why we would do this last weekend. We talked about the harvest that Jesus took his disciples to the towns and the villages. He said, look at the harvest. The harvest is a metaphor Jesus uses for people who do not yet know him as their Lord and Savior. So he says to his followers, see all those people. They don't know me yet. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers out to proclaim the good news of the kingdom or to tell those folks about Jesus. That's why we started praying with the 21 days of prayer. So the why is the harvest. The why is the, the commandment that Jesus, our Lord, would give us specifically and this weekend, I want to talk to you about the what. What are the projects that we believe that we need to give special attention to? So there's three areas that have risen to the top of our kind of radar that we see working or that we see a pressing need in. 
And the three areas are sports ministries, the continuing work of 30 and 30, and the opioid crisis or the heroin epidemic that's kind of ravaging our community right now. And as we've looked at these three areas and ran beta tests and run the math and got the volunteers lined up and all the things you would do to make sure that that they're the areas you should pay attention to, we have become confident that these are the three things that we need to invest in. So I wanna walk you through this and talk to you about uh, why all that, can we reach those conclusions and then what we need to do in response to it, okay? So we'll just kinda do it in order. We'll start with sports ministries. And uh, we look at sports ministries and say this is a phenomenal opportunity for us to reach more and more people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you a little bit about the vision of sports ministry. I got uh, this vision that, to use sports to reach people as a relational bridge to reach people. About seven or eight years ago, my kids were involved in a basketball program, and uh, we were taking the kids to be a part of this, and my neighbor, my, my friend, wanted to be involved with it as well, and so we wound up kind of taking our, our kids to this basketball program together, and the kids would go to this program. It was at a, a local church. And uh, when they got there, they would learn, the kids would learn some verses. And at halftime, uh, one of the adults would, as the kids were doing their halftime, you know, reoring for their game, one of the adults would come out and take the Bible out and share something out of the Bible. And they would kind of do that all season long. And at the end of the season, they had a big, big gathering. And they would get up at that gathering, all the teams and all the parents were there, and they would share the gospel. They would tell people about Jesus, sing some songs and share the gospel and invite people to follow Jesus. And I went to that last gathering, happened to go there with my friend. We, we rode together over there. And what was unique about my friend is he didn't believe in God. He would have called himself an atheist. And so we were friends and he knew that I believe in God. It's a little bit of a prerequisite for my job. And so we, uh, he knew that I believed in God. And so we would talk a lot. We're buddies, you know, and we talk a lot back and forth. And we went to this big rally and the church that was leading, it was pretty, you know, straightforward about what, what, they, were, what they were doing and what they were up to. And we were leaving that and coming home. And I thought to myself, I thought, I wonder what he thinks about all that, right? Because I was a little bit on pins and needles. I wonder if that was a little over the top for him or pushed it a little bit too far. So I started talking to him about that. And I was like, hey, what do you think about what they said and this and that and what your daughter was exposed to as she was playing basketball and all this? And what I realized very, very quickly was he didn't care. He didn't care at all. He didn't care what they taught his daughter. He didn't care if she learned Bible verses or not. He didn't care about the, the big rally and what they said at the big rally. All he cared about was that his daughter had an opportunity to play organized basketball. That's all he cared about. And I remember sitting in the car listening to him and I thought, huh, all you need is a basketball? <laughs> like, it's that simple? So I, I thought, man, if... If a parent who doesn't value what we value in Christ will like give their kid to us and let us teach them anything that we want to teach them about the Lord, and he'll even be exposed to it, and all we need is a basketball, we better go get some basketballs, right, and, and start doing this. And so that was the birth of the sports ministry, and it was out of that that we had the opportunity to, to buy and renovate the Montrose building and put the basketball court in that. 
It's out of that that we, uh, we found Pastor Donnie and his wife, uh, Becky, and Donnie and Becky and the kids moved in from Wisconsin to join us here and, and became, uh, started our sports ministries. And all that birthed out of that realization that my, that my friend was fine with whatever was taught as long as there was a ball involved. We then started sports ministry, and some of you are connected to sports ministry, some of you aren't, so let me describe it a little bit. Sports ministry has hundreds and hundreds of adults involved with it. It has a ton of college students and a ton of high school uh, students involved in it, and hundreds and hundreds of kids. So I wanna, what I want to do is I want to talk about one segment of sports ministry. So think of all the adults and all the college students and all the teenagers, and I want to talk about part of the kids program, specifically the part that we call game day basketball. And I'm just going to use that as an example to tell you or to show you what we believe God has opened up for all of us. So game day basketball, if you have a child in game day basketball, what happens is this, your kid comes to game day, they sign up, they are connected first of all with a loving and safe adult who cares about them spiritually, right? So we have all kinds of kids. Just this weekend, we would have had over 530 kids participate in game day basketball just this weekend. That happens every week during game day season. 50% of those kids do not attend church anywhere. And so they come to game day basketball. They're connected with a loving adult. The stats would tell us this, right? The stats would say that 50% of boys do not live with a father in their home. Okay, so that's just a national stat. So think of simple things that have a profound impact. A boy without a dad in his home comes to game day. He's connected with a coach or even the referees pray with the kids before they begin a game. It is very possible that the only man that has ever prayed for that and with that boy is their game day coach. Simple but profound little things. Your kids are a part of that. They're learning scripture every week at practice. They come, they work on dribbling drills and plays and all the little fundamental things that you would start basketball in. But after practice, they go to a Bible time. At that Bible time, what we do over 10 weeks is we layer the gospel out over a 10-week period in an age-appropriate way. So by the end of that 10 weeks, the kids understand that they need Jesus and Jesus loves them and wants to connect with them. And then we take every one of those kids and we meet with them one-on-one at the end of the season. And we give every one of them an opportunity to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's all age appropriate. If it's a, if it's a little kid, if it's a, it's a five or six years old, we're saying, do you wanna become Jesus's friend? If it's an 11, 12-year-old, we're saying, do you understand that you need a savior and Jesus is willing to forgive you? And we present that to all of the kids in a loving relationship, one-on-one, that's developed over a 10 to 12-week season. 50% of those kids don't attend church anywhere, and 20% of that 50% accept Jesus as their savior. It is a massive evangelism opportunity, discipleship opportunity. It's a massive opportunity as far as a front door to Grace Church. Many families, in fact, I bet a bunch of you have connected to Grace Church because of game day. It was your first counterpart there. It is 
a wonderful thing that God is doing. When you go to the Montrose building on a Saturday during game day season, there's, there's, about, there's a little over 530 kids that run through there. There's, in addition to them, about 1,500 to 2,000 adults that watch those kids play basketball. Because when you have a kid playing basketball, mom and dad and siblings and grandma and grandpa show up to watch that happen. Now, gentlemen, a middle-aged pudgy guy, nobody watches us play basketball, right? But all everybody comes to watch the kids play basketball. And we will flood that building. There'll be two to 3,000 people a Saturday that will go in and out of that Montrose building. It fills up beyond capacity. And our volunteers will show up there. They show up about 6 a.m. and they start the process. And by the time they wrap up and run all the games through there and set it up to have services on Sunday, it's usually about 8 p.m. at night before they're done. So we're squeezing 14 hours out of that building, mostly with volunteers every weekend just to host the game day opportunities. That's the good news. And that's just game day, right? I'm not talking about college students or adults. That's a whole nother story. That's just game day. In addition to that, we're running summer camps that are sports camps. And the same thing, parents in our community is looking at us. Two working uh, parent families or a single parent family would look at us and say, do you have anything for my kids while they're out of school? And we've said, yeah, we have sports camps, soccer, baseball, basketball, all these camps that have a ball involved with it. And we'll take your kids for eight hours. But you need to know, we're going to teach them about Jesus. We're going to take the, the 10 weeks of game day, and we're going to compile that curriculum, so to say, in such a way that we walk your kids through the same thing at the end of every camp. We're going to tell them about Jesus, and parents will look at us and say, but you'll keep them all day, right? <laughs> right. Okay, tell them whatever you want, as long as you don't send them home, right? So we'll have them all day long. And those summer camps will bring teenagers in from our church to intern with us in the summer. They'll give their summers up. We're training them. We're building ministry principles into them, leadership principles into them, and they become the counselors for those kids over the summer. In fact, if you want to see something powerful, like blow your mind powerful, go to the splash bash, the big baptism that we have after the summer and watch a teenager who has led a kid to Christ baptize that kid. I mean, it'll melt your heart. And they're praying for that kid and they, they process with that kid and they walk them through the gospel and they become this spiritual person, this leader in their life. It is a powerful, powerful thing. And we'll do that all summer long, basically. We'll have the kids come into camp and then a bunch of them then come to Bible camp at the end of the summer because we've created all of these new relationships. God is using sports ministry in a powerful way and opening up hundreds, even thousands of relationships that we would never have had otherwise. That's the good news. Here's the bad news. We've run out of space. Even with 530 kids involved in game day, just basketball. Now remember, I'm just talking about a segment of something. Even with all those kids involved in that segment, 
We said no to over 100 kids this year. We, we simply had no room to put them in. We told them, you cannot play with us, I'm sorry. We've been given an invitation from the Akron Public School Systems to invite every elementary age student in the school system, every one of them. We can invite to come to our church, them knowing that we're a church and that we're gonna talk about Jesus. We don't do anything undercover ever here at Grace Church. Them knowing that, and we, have, we are unable to fully act on that invitation. We simply cannot get more kids involved. There are waiting lists. The game day registrations will fill up before they even go public on the websites because parents will hound you. They will hound you, right, to get their kids involved. And so we've looked and said God is using this in, in an unusual way. I, in my 25, almost 26 years of being the pastor here at Grace Church, we have never had a program where unchurched parents have put their children on a waiting list to hear about Jesus. Never. Never has the community said, please, we're gonna tell them about the Lord. We don't care, there's a ball, right? Please, can we please get our kids in? That's why there's 530, like four kids. Because we're literally squeezing every kid in that we can get in. And this is one of those times in ministry where the real problem and the actual solution is that we feel like we need to build a building. That we, in order to meet the need more, we need to create athletic space where we're able to invite more kids and college students and teenagers and adults, right? It's not just for children, it's for everybody, but I'm using that as an example to be a part of the ministries here at Grace Church. As we looked at things and we understood things, we said this is the solution that needs to be brought to the table. The new building would do many things for us. It would do things like this. It would allow us to expand the leagues, Leagues are the key for us because when you join a league, we basically create an eight to 10 week relationship with you. It's kind of like a connect group. And so we can connect with you again and again and again, and it becomes a relational bridge that we can meet you on. So we're able to do more of that. We'll be able to take the sports ministries to a year round model. So not just basketball and like the winter and then like sports camps in the summer, but they would run year round. And I don't know if, you're, if you know that our weather's bad in this area. So inside is a big deal in this area. So it would allow us to do that. It would allow us to expand summer camps. Our cap on summer camps is that we can only allow the camp to get big enough that when the thunderstorm happens, we can move the kids inside. We have never, I don't think, I don't know of one camp that we got all the way through the week without bad weather in it. We live where we live, and we love it here, right? So it allows us to expand camps and offer more of those camps and allow more kids to be a part of it. And we believe that with the proper development of the ministry, so over about a three-year span developing leaders, staff, and volunteers, that when we have the facility, we believe that we'll be able to reach about 1,500 people a week using sports ministry. And we believe that there's an enormous opportunity, that there's, there's a thousand other opportunities I don't have the time to tell you about right now. 
But we believe there's an enormous opportunity to impact the lives of kids. When you think about filling the fatherless gap, sports ministries is a phenomenal tool for that. When you think about integrating urban ministries, sports ministries is a phenomenal tool for that. When you think about relational bridges that lead to discipleship and evangelism, sports ministries is a phenomenal tool for that. And we believe that the building is the problem. We've done several things before we've reached this conclusion. We looked at renting facilities. Could we just rent them and not own them? The problem with renting them is, first of all, there's not nearly as many as you might think that there are. And then secondly, everybody needs them at the same time. So when we need to play basketball, everybody else needs to play basketball. So it doesn't work well to do that. We looked at buying a used facility. We looked at buying a building. And the people we interacted with were wonderful. They, they were great to work with. But after we ran all of the numbers, the size of the facility and what it would mean for the upkeep and the ongoing process of owning it was, was not a wise decision for us financially. And so we reached this conclusion that the most economical thing long-term and the thing that would actually solve our immediate ministry problems would be to build facilities on property that Grace Church already owns. And so we wanna do that. We wanna create sports ministry facility space so we can expand and so that we can reach more people and be a part of that. And the space that we build here at Grace we always build flexible space. So this will be primarily a sports ministry facility, but all of our spaces get used for multiple things. And so it will be used for multiple things eventually and unforeseen things into the future. But primarily, it's a sports ministry facility that will allow us to address this, this opportunity. I really believe in the years to come, we are more likely to meet someone on the court or the field long before we meet them in the lobby of the church. It's a neutral ground where our community has said, we want the church here. We're gonna tell your kids about Jesus. We know that. Well, we're a church. We know what you are, right? When we sign up for something at Grace Church, we figured, right? So it's, we're not hiding anything. We're also being gentle and respectful like this, the, the scripture teaches us to do but it's a place that makes sense to our community and they are meeting us there in droves and we wanna meet them there more and more, okay? So the first thing that we've seen that, that is really working this way that we feel like we need to really invest in right now is sports ministry. The second thing is this. The second thing that we, we talk about a lot and is a driving force here at Grace is the continuing work of 30 and 30. And so what we've done in, in this desire to to start 30 campuses in 30 years, uh, we multiply, we invest in other campuses. We have eight campuses already. Our desire is to get to 30, but we learned a few years ago that one of the big things that we have to do is we have to raise our own leadership, that going and hiring folks kind of from the outside to be a part of grace does not work. We're much better off creating an ecosystem in which we raise up pastors, missionaries, directors, who will either join the team here at Grace or they may go off to other works. That, that's up to them. But we need to raise that new generation of folks who will go into full-time ministry. So 30 and 30, because of that, always needs a flow of resources. And so we wanna continue to keep that flow of resources going. And two main ways that that's gonna happen here 
in this three-year windows is through our interns and residents is the first way. If you're unfamiliar with this, uh, we have about 25 interns and residents that are all, at all campuses of Grace Church. Look at their faces. Do not be frightened by them. Uh, but <clears throat> you'll recognize a lot of these guys because they, they're, uh, they're all over the place. And, and this is how it breaks down. An intern is a person who's a full-time undergraduate student and a part-time employee of Grace Church. So we offer them a work study. We're not just paying their way through school, but we're offering them a work study. They work for what they get. A resident is a full-time graduate student. Most pastors have at least a master's degree is where we would look and say, you're really ready to teach the rest of your life. So we call that seminary. So a resident is someone who's in seminary. They're a full-time graduate student and a full-time employee of the church. They work 40 to 50 hours a week serving us in one way or another. And these guys are training. So they're going to school. They go to classes. We have a fully accredited undergraduate program right here at Grace Church. It's from a university in Indiana that had their accreditation extended here. They're taught in live classes by real professors. This is not internet school. So the professors come in and they actually go to class right over in the discipleship wing, which is why we built that thing, for them to be able to go to class there. And they're training in ministry as they do that. So they go to school and then they do the ministry. And this is where you would recognize a lot of these guys. They're teaching your kids or they might be leading in worship and, or they might be doing a thousand different things, but they're being trained in ministry as they go. And if you engage us as an undergraduate student and stay with us all the way, what, you, what happens for you over that six or seven year period of being an undergraduate and then getting a graduate degree is you graduate from college, you graduate with a master's degree, you have six to seven years worth of training actually in what you're doing, you are discipled over that same time, you read the Bible cover to cover three times and make notes on every section of it as you go. You are licensed into ministry, which is a ministry credential. Anybody that gets their ministry credential off the internet, you should ignore. But if you want to be licensed in the ministry, uh, that's a whole different thing. It's actually a very difficult credential to get. You're licensed in the ministry. And then if you work with us and you work on the side, you will graduate from all of that debt-free. Now, that debt-free is a big, big deal because if you wanna be on a two-man church planning team, you're gonna make about $35,000 a year. You wanna be a missionary, you're gonna make about dollars $40,000 a year. And we realize that if we want these guys trained like they should be trained, then we have to beat that private school education. You can't go to Akron U and get a seminary degree. You gotta go to a private college. And so by doing it this way, we're able to help them go all the way through, help them make sure they don't have that debt so they can go do things at ministry rates for the rest of their lives. And these guys, listen, you should be proud of them. They are the pride and joy of grace in a lot of ways because these are young men and women who know what they wanna do. They're no different than a kid that says, I wanna be a doctor or I wanna be a nurse or I wanna be an engineer. They've looked and said, I wanna go into full-time ministry and I volunteer to do it. I will give my life and my career and my best to that. And if you guys can help me do it, I'm go all in on it. 
and God is raising them up and we wanna continue to work that program. The second part of 30 and 30 is a project that we started, which is our Atlanta campus reaching immigrants and refugees. About four or five years ago, we got a phone call from our missions agency and they said, hey, did you know that the 747 is the new boat and that Atlanta airport's the new Ellis Island? We said, we didn't know that. Did you know that hundreds of thousands of legal immigrants and refugees, think of a war-torn region and there's a refugee, are landing in Atlanta every year. God is bringing the nations to Atlanta. And our missions agency called and said, would you help us start churches for them? So we created a partnership between our missions agency, our foundation, and Grace Church. And we split the bill three ways to start churches there. But the church belongs to us. The staff works for us. It's one of our campuses. We hired our lead pastor, Carlos Tellez, and his wife, Emily. And then we hired an associate pastor, Peter Yu, and his wife, Anna. And they moved to Atlanta. They landed on the ground about 20 months ago. And they literally started walking up to people and saying, hi, my name's Carlos. Would you like to follow Jesus? It was a little more tactful than that. But they just cold turkey started to reach people. This is what God has done in those 20 months. Already today, about 110 people per weekend meet together as a church, which is mind-boggling when you think about church planning statistics. In that 110 people, six different languages are spoken. These are folks from the Middle East, from Africa, from uh, Asia, from all over the world. They're, they're coming here for these different reasons, and they're melting together as one church. God is using them in great ways, and these are refugees. So we knew when we started this program that we were gonna have to stand with them financially for a while. Uh, when you win the, the UN lottery, there's one family there, they're war refugees from Chad, they got relocated to Cameroon, they won a lottery from the UN to come to the United States. They wind up in the United States, they land on the ground, they're handed $200 and say, and told, welcome to America. So they don't have a lot of resources. They're working hard. All of them have jobs, but they're just establishing themselves for the, for the first season of their life right now here in the United States. So we want to continue to stand with them financially to keep them moving. We have them on a track where we know we won't do that forever, but for a while we're going to have to. And God is using that in great, great ways, and we want to continue to support them as we move forward. First thing we see that God is using in great ways is sports ministry. The second is the continuing work of 30 and 30. And the area that our community called us and said, hey, is there, can you help us, is this area of this opioid crisis. And we were asked, is there anything that you can do to help with this? This crisis is real. In fact, a couple weeks ago, I had us raise our hand. I'll do it again. If you have a family member, a loved one, or a friend that's been affected by the heroin epidemic, raise your hand. Yeah, see, it's, it's 30, 40% of us. It's, it's everywhere. And the stats bear that out. Uh, just in Ohio, uh, the estimates are 200,000 people addicted to opioids. Uh, Ohio is third for overdose deaths in the United States. In fact, the Attorney General said that Ohio of the United States said that Ohio is the epicenter of the opioid crisis. And by the way, Cuyahoga and Summit County would be the epicenter of the epicenter. We're right in the bullseye with it. 
over 5,000 deaths. That was in the year of 2016. Uh, that stat's a couple years old of people who've died of overdoses. About 14 people a week die from heroin overdoses. This shows up in our church all the time. I've sat with many of you talking about your loved ones, your nieces, nephews, kids that are caught, trapped in this. We probably at Grace, we probably do about a funeral a month connected to heroin. And some of it is very, some of it's directly in our church family. Some of it is a relationship or two removed, but we've been asked to help because we'll, we'll do a funeral for anybody just to love on them. And it, but it is a constant part of our lives and it's a crazy thing. About five years ago, somebody asked me, uh, a friend asked me, said, Jeff, what's Grace doing about the heroin problem? I said, right now what we're doing is Power Kids, Surge, Merge, and Collective. The ultimate answer to this problem is to get ahead of it. The fatherless epidemic, the, the, the lack of biblical training, the lack of life, all that is, it, we have to get ahead of it. And so that's part of why we value youth and children so much because we know we can help prevent these things. But I told them, I looked at my friend and I said, other than that, I don't have an answer for you because nobody has an answer. The schools don't know what to do. The police don't know what to do. The medical community doesn't know what to do. The government doesn't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And all of us kind of know not to throw a bunch of money at it. So until I have an answer, we're gonna, we're gonna work on the preventative side on it. Uh, a good friend of mine and a partner of mine is a guy named Joe Coffey. Joe Coffey is a senior pastor of Christ Community Chapel. Joe and I are very dear friends and our churches are very connected with each other. Joe and I pastor the two largest churches in Summit County. We're about the same size, but I'm sexier. And so Joe and I uh, often look for ways to work with each other. In fact, we've made a vow to each other as the two largest churches to never compete with each other. We, we believe the same things, we trust each other. I recommend anybody go to Christ Community Chapel. It's a phenomenal church. And so Joe and I have made kind of a pact that our goal is to blanket the area with the gospel of Jesus Christ and let's work together every place that we can with that. So Joe and I were having lunch and he sat down with me. He said, hey, he goes, I think I got something for us on this heroin thing. And he started to tell me a story. He said, there's a man in my church, his name's Dan Gregory. This is not the Dan Gregory that is our Norton campus pastor. It's another Dan Gregory, but they look alike. Neither one of them have hair. And so... He said, uh, there's a man in my church named Dan Gregory. He's got a vision. He has the ability to pull it off. And Joe started to tell me about something that Dan discovered in Columbus. So in Columbus, there is a residential treatment program for opioid addictions. And the way it works like this, uh, you come into that program. It's a year-long program. The first 30 days in the program, you detox. You, you, you have to break the body's addiction to opioids. After the physical break happens, now we're worried about the emotions and the spiritual issues that are going on. So after you detox, what we've done is we've started to partner with businesses around the area, and we want these guys to go get jobs. And we say, you have to recover within reality. The, I'm tired this morning, I don't feel good, I don't wanna work in the weather, my boss, I don't like that person. That's just all a part of normal life. 
And so we say you need to learn to carry those kind of weights even as you're recovering. We'll look at the employer and say, we're asking you to hire a known addict. And I tell you something, the, the marketplace response has been phenomenal. Almost everyone we've talked to has said, we'll take a chance. We want to help too. So we'll take a chance and we'll hire a person or two like this, knowing who they are, and we'll work with them and partner with that employee as employers, they get a job. Once you have a job, then you have to start paying rent to the residential program because we want you to have buy-in to what you're doing. You pay rent, you buy food, you cook your food, you clean the area, you, you do the maintenance on the facilities. So this is not country club rehab, this is real life rehab. We then start to do counseling with you. Here in Akron, we'll do it through Emerge Counseling Services. And we'll walk you through the, some of the broken parts of your life and try to have you, uh, help you get help with that. And then we'll do discipleship with you and churches like Christ Community Chapel and like Grace Church. We'll come and we'll do the spiritual discipleship that underpins it all because you cannot break free without Christ in these areas. You must have the power of God in your life. When you go through that program, it's a year-long program. It's a one strike, you start over. If you're six months in and you relapse, you go back to day one. We don't just kick you to the curb, but you have to start over because we would say you have to, you have to take a person down to their bones, right? You have to start over to really help them break everything that's tied to this addiction process. Columbus has been running that program for, almost, for over a decade now, and here's their results. Two years after completion of the program, you gotta complete it, two years after completion, about 90% of their graduates are sober and still working. And in the rehab world, let me tell you something, that is a grand slam of all grand slams. That is an astronomical statistic. When Joe laid that out for me, he said, he said, Jeff, what if we brought it to Akron? What if we brought it to Akron? Not, it's not a franchise. We're not buying into something. It's a ministry, just like a church. So we went to them and said, if we learn from you and we created this space, could we copy you? Would you help us? They said, not only could you copy us, but we would give you staff. Like we would bring all the DNA and bring it to Akron area. We took this idea then to Summit County, and we said, we got an idea to do something about the heroin epidemic. Summit County got so in love with this idea. And by the way, Summit County, we're gonna do it in the name of Jesus Christ because we're churches. But wherever we go, we proclaim the good news of the kingdom, so you just gotta know that. We don't care, there's help, right? Summit County got so enamored by the idea that they gave us 25 acres of land. They gave us part of the old Edwin Shaw property. So we're gonna have this located over in Springfield where Edwin Shaw used to be. We have the property. We have contractors that are willing to build for cost for us. And we're starting to make all of these connections. So what we wanna do is we wanna build, restore, rehab center and we want to create this facility and bring it out of the ground this is going to be a 70 bed treatment center that will be modeled after everything that i told you about in the akron area where we're at right now is we're raising the capital to build this building okay 
So this, these dollars that we're trying to get together right now are not the operating costs. We have another plan for that that will do the operating costs. I am confident that this facility will come on to the church's budget just like the Haven of Rest is and Rahab Sex Trafficking Ministries are, all those kind of things. These are the facilities that need to be created and brought out of the ground. Think of it this way. Uh, a generation or even two generations ago, there was a group of Christ followers who looked and said, we have to do something about homelessness in our area. And they got together and they built the haven of rest. And the haven of rest then has served this community for decades now and will for decades into the future. And it's all Christ-centered. We want to build the haven of rest. We want to build the facility. Even a few years ago, we did this with Rahab. We built the, the safe houses that, that the women who are trafficked are protected in now. So that's what we're doing here. We're bringing it out of the ground, and then those ministries will run indefinitely, and we'll come along beside them, and we'll partner with them, okay? So the three areas that we're looking at, sports ministry, continued work of 30 and 30, and restore, addressing the work of the, uh, uh, that, the uh, problems of the opioid crisis, okay? All right, that's it. That's all I have in mind <laughs> for us. I think it'll keep us busy for a few years, right? We look and say we believe God wants to, to do this. As I was thinking about this, the, the passage that connects with my heart in this is 1 Corinthians chapter 9. The apostle Paul says, to the weak I became weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share and its blessings. And this is what we're trying to do. To the weak will become weak. If you're stuck in addictions, we will come to you. We're not asking you to come to us. It's not where that starts. We will come to you. We will walk into your village we will see you as Christ sees you, as harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, and we will have compassion on you. Did you make bad decisions? Yes. Are you responsible for your decisions? Without question. Are you trapped in your decisions? Yes. If we can help you become free, your body, your mind, and critically, your soul, then we will go to the weak and we will do this. This is what our Savior did for us. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. We're powerless. And Christ did not look and say, not, you need to clean it up, knock it off, and stop it, and maybe you can come see me because we were incapable of doing any of that. So he came to us. He became weak because we are weak. And then Paul goes on. He says, I, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might win some. If, if a basketball is my ticket to your soul, if a soccer ball, this culture's obsessed with sports, right, let's go with it. If it's my ticket to having a conversation about your soul, 
I'll buy that ticket by all possible means. Doesn't matter what the means are. It matters what the opportunity is. If quilting was bringing thousands of people, we would try to buy sewing machines, right? It doesn't matter what the means are. It matters what the opportunities are, what the relational bridges are. And so we're looking and saying, this is how God works. If we, were, if we were in a different time, in a different place, in a different part of the planet, we would have different means that we would execute. But we're here, and this is working. And this is, these, are, these are the problems in our community, and they're asking. And we're doing it all. You, there is nothing secretive about Grace Church. We do it all in the name of Christ with love and gentleness and respect and compassion, but unapologetically for who Jesus is. And guys, it's just working. N- nobody, nobody who doesn't know and love and follow Jesus puts their child's name on a waiting list so that we can teach their kid to know and love and follow Jesus. I don't, know of, I don't know of another church in the country that the government has said, we think you will best use our property. It's unheard of what God is doing. When you got 25, 35 young people saying, I'll do it. I'll, I'll give it up. I believe, who does that? What God is doing is, it's unprecedented. And we're asking that we step into this, that we take advantage of it, that we double down on the doors that God has already opened. I'm asking you to go all in on this. I'm asking you to go all in with prayer because that's the first thing Jesus told us to do. Pray for workers to go into the harvest field. I, you, every Christ follower is that worker. So we're pray. Meet us at 12:30 online. Let's pray. Come on Monday night. Let's pray. Let's ask God for those things. I'm asking you to go all in and unite. Everything I just talked about, if we do everything that I just talked about, it's gonna cost a minimum of $6 million, minimum. To pay a bill like that at Grace Church means that every household has to get their shoulder under it. There, There is no one check that's gonna wipe that out. Unless you want to write it, you should call me immediately. (laughs) But we ran the numbers and we ran the math. And if we all get our shoulder under it, it's very doable. Those of us who can give hundreds of thousands, we need to do that. Those of us who can give tens of thousands, we need to do that. Those of us who can give hundreds and tens, we need to do that. And if we all get our shoulder under it, we can lift this. 
But it's going to take that. It's going to take all of us in unity lifting together. In two weeks, I'm going to ask you for money, right? You can, everything we're talking about, we're grownups, you know it, ta- it costs money. So I'm going to ask you for money. And what I'm going to ask you to do over the next two weeks is I'm going to ask you to gather around your own kitchen table, right? We sit down together as a big family. I'm going to ask you to sit down together as your individual families and start to pray and ask God, God, what is, what is your amount that you want us to give? How do you want us to be involved? And as you follow God and follow his leading and listen to the number that he gives you, God, I believe, will unite us as a people. And as you do what God led you to do and I do what God led me to do and so and so does what, we'll come up with the money. But if you sit it out, we won't. I mean, it's, it's that blunt. It's a big lift for our church. A church that gives away its giving base to start new churches. See, in 30 and 30, when a bunch of people get up and go start another one, all their giving goes with them. The money you give stays at the campus you gave it at. So in all these years of 30 and 30, with almost 1,800 people leaving the Bath campus to go start new campuses... All those financial resources went with them. And that's exactly the way that we want it to be. So it's a big lift for us. And I'm gonna ask you to start being a part of it, okay? Here's my favorite thing. My favorite thing is this. Every 31 hours. Every 31 hours. Ready? On average. On average. Every 31 hours, someone accepts Christ at the Bath Campus of Grace Church. Every 31 hours. You have a very simple pastor. I have one agenda in life. I don't want people to go to hell. That's all I kind of live and breathe. I just don't want people to go to hell. And I am grateful that every 31 hours, someone is brought from death to life. And all of our prayer and work and money and everything that we do, it always boils down to this for me. Someone is brought from death to life. All I want is the number to be lower. I want it to be every 24 hours or every hour on the hour. With a church our size, there are thousands of us. And when we lock arms with a church like Christ Community, there become tens of thousands of us. It should be really hard in Akron, Ohio, to not know about the hope and the love of Jesus Christ. So that's all we're doing. Ultimately, it's all we're ever doing. And I believe that God has blessed your faithfulness with the opportunity to do more and more. I believe he's looking at us as a church and saying, I love that number. You know what I wanna give you guys? A lower number. 
I want to see more people. I trust you with it because you do things in my name. So that's the vision. That's the opportunity. It's the why. This is the what. Next week, I'm going to talk to you about the how, right? Two weeks, we're going to have to commit the money. And I really believe God wants to do great, great, great things through this, okay? All right. I'm going to ask the band to come out, and as they settle in, I, this is what I'd like us to do this, this weekend as we wrap up our service. I would like us just to start to pray. And if you're watching on the internet, please join us right now. Just bow your head and pray and start to ask the Lord how he wants you to be involved with this. It's going to take all of us. So start to ask God how he would want you as an as a individual to be a part of this process, okay? So I'll start and then you pray for a little bit. Jesus, me too, God. Mm -hmm. I think, God, I get a little emotional because I've seen you do this. I know you can. I know you have. And God, the, the only thing between where we're at and where you want to take us is our willingness to go. So God, me too, I get nervous and I get cautious to give me courage, give me a fearlessness, a trust in you. God, in these moments, press into our individual hearts. You are calling us as a church to begin to work in the individual parts of this community, God. As we try to love these kids and, and adults, whoever, God, through something as simple as sports. Try to leave these churches that we believe you called us to leave. And God, as we go into an area that only you can break through. Nothing else has worked, but you can and do. Somehow envision us personally, God, to see that and be a part of it. Press into our hearts even now in these still moments, Jesus, in your name.